Hey, it's your host Josiah, and I thought I would take a minute to talk with you about today's episode before we dived right in. Today's episode is it's pretty special uh, in light of recent events, and it's because of the guest that we have on the show today. Earlier last week, we spent time with this guest. We interviewed him. We we had some laughs. We we actually had some moments where we nearly teared up, and it was. It was just a great conversation. Uh, his name is Jared Callahan. After recording with us, Jared was in a pretty serious accident, and he's currently in the hospital. Um, so he got hurt after talking with us. He has a has a pretty long road to recovery in front of him, and very optimistic that that's exactly what will happen. But there's this. There's this tension of, well, what what do we do with this? Um, on one hand, it didn't feel right for me to put this episode out there because I wanted to give him and his family and his friends and in his community some room, some space to grieve privately without just adding to the noise that they're experiencing, the chaos in their lives. But on the other hand, uh, I did I did end up having some conversation with his family, particularly with his significant other, his other half, um, and it was determined that maybe this is what he would want. That because Jared was such a gift, because his brain particularly was such a gift, because just his energy, his personality was such a gift, that that gift should be sh- should be shared. That his his uh, his crazy energy should be shared. So out of a desire to respect the family, out of a desire to respect the gift that this episode feels like now, we're going to do that. And we're going to ask uh, and request some very specific things of you, uh, the listener, that we don't normally ask of you. Number one, the tone of the episode is going to change because it's pretty happy-go-lucky. I know I'm pretty serious and somber right now, but that's because these have been recorded at two different times um, in real time. This intro is being recorded after the actual episode. So while you're listening and maybe celebrating and, and having fun laughing at some of the things Jared says, would you be mindful? Uh, would you be praying for him? Would you be praying for his family? Would you be praying for this long road of recovery that he will be having to walk down? Secondarily, we would like to ask that we don't add to the noise of his family's life, that we don't blow up phones with notifications. That instead, if, if you hear about Jared, uh, you hear that he was in an accident because of this po- podcast, that you would use us um, as a resource. If you want to say something to the family, if you want to reach out in some way, if you want to send a note, send it to us. We'll collect as many as we can and send one big actual physical thing to the family and make sure that, that those sentiments are extended. But But those are the two requests that we would give space, but that we would also pray and thank God for the gift that is the Jared Callahan we all know and love and we will hear on this podcast. Thank you.
Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. And we're together. We're reunited, and it feels so good, doesn't it, Byron? It feels such good, Josiah. Such. such. Can you tell us such why you good. said such, just briefly? This is our banter. We're going to keep it short and sweet. I honestly don't remember how it started, but we, a group of us started saying such instead of so for some reason, and then now I just use it all the time. So and such people, cute. On uh, social media. And then and you tried go, no, to text your sure father such. in a group message yeah. with your father I, and I, I like my sister-in-law. My sister, my sister-in-law sent me a picture of my niece and I thought that my brothers were in it. And so I responded with such cute. And my dad said, responded with, yeah, someone even say it's so cute. And he just didn't get why I did that. But it was funny to so. me. Really stupid inside jokes need to stay inside jokes because other people don't I, get them. I the honestly the assumed my brothers were in also in the text chain and they were not this time. So that was my bad. I didn't do the research. Oh, my goodness. Move, my moving right corrected along. corrected my grammar and it was funny. Moving right along. We're back together. So our <laughs> initial banter, we're going to apologize for and introduce a guy named Jared. Jared, are you with us still? Can you hear us? I am with you, and I wish I hadn't heard that introduction. Can we just oh. fast forward through, uh, through that? Yeah, our apologies, Jared. <laughs> it, was, it was such good. <laughs> great. Jared, you're on the podcast uh, for some interesting reasons, but we're going to have some fun with learning who you are. Uh, I'm just going to, as a form of introduction, ask you a question. And for the sake of hypotheticals, let's pretend we don't know each other. And... Uh, I'll give a little spoiler. You're you're in sort of the NorCal, sort of close to San Francisco, Oakland area, right? Is that is Oakland the bigger city you're close to? Correct. So let's just pretend you're you're someone I've never met, and I want to get to know you at a coffee shop in Oakland, and like, oh, I, your your name's Jared. That's neat. I'm Josiah. What do you do? So if I'm just coming in cold, Jared, <laughs> if I'm coming in cold. And I'm just like, oh, I like this Jared dude. And for the sake of those who might not be able to see Jared, because me and Byron have seen him before. Great guy. He has this awesome mustache. Like, maybe I just really admire his sense of style. And I want to know more about Jared. What's your response to the what do you do? What's your job question? Man, if I had any sense that you're a safe person, I would probably <laughs> challenge your the premise of your question because you're asking me my value based on what I choose to do with my day instead of who I am or the quality of person that I am. So I would probably say, well, who I want to be is kind and patient and a constant learner. Who do you want to be? And then you would have a moment where you're a little embarrassed and your face turns red and then you have to figure out if I'm a safe person or if I'm just a jerk. Um, but that might be the way we start a relationship. Dang, dude. See, no. I, I had a feeling that this question was going to open up a conversation thread. So <laughs> let's pretend we still don't know each other. And I'm asking, OK, I really just wanted to know how you make money or if you had to write in, in your mortgage uh, job occupation. What 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 does that look like? Oh, that's I could put farmer. I could put pastor. I could put filmmaker. Um, it really depends on what I'm filling out, and I, I choose different things based on what I thought is a mortgage, which doesn't seem likely anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> I would probably put founder of a nonprofit. But if you're just meeting Josiah or Byron, whom you've never met in a coffee shop, and you're thinking, hey, I want to know this person more, mm -hmm. what does that conversation look like? Man, it, this is a lot of hypotheticals. <laughs> I feel I know. like. Uh, I maybe I just don't like meeting people at coffee shops. 
<laughs> maybe these uh, are concentric circles that are starting to overlap more. But I've had two very clear and specific worlds that I operate in. I have the church world, which is why I'm assuming I'm getting invited here and to discuss, but I also exist in, in the film and art world. And so um, if I'm coffee shop and it's related to or around people that are in the church world and that is a very specific language and tribe uh to speak within and then most of my life now around art and film and so that's a different tribe so yeah you're gonna get two very very different sides of me and i think i can i can just skip to the like the thesis statement or the end result for me pastoring and filmmaking are very similar for me they're they're very much people centered and about asking good good questions and instead of I learned early on in pastoring, it wasn't about being able to give all the right answers, but about what's good, um, then maybe that's the point. I think it's the same in art. If you are asking good questions, then you're making art. And if you are trying to give solid answers, then you're a commercial. And I think that that's a place that I have seen the church that I grew up in and the church that, um, like Church Capital C, um, a lot of time trying to sell an idea like a commercial instead of trying to be something that is a credible witness to love in action and so i think for me filmmaking art and pastoring and farming are now all uh trying to learn and then trying to reflect on my growth and to provide space for other people to ask questions of themselves and to forgive themselves and to grow so you answered the question and you answered sort of the the hypothetical on top of there's so many there's an inception level of hypotheticals going on now so let's just clarify for a minute we asked you on the podcast because of that answer i'll just i'll come right out and say right. yes. so we're done that that <laughs> was over. it no there's a there's a concerted effort by us at least to sort of capture a, a broader imagination for what it looks like to be the church and whether that's to be a pastor whether that's to imagine what it looks like to to faithfully follow this dude named Jesus, whatever whatever we want to put that label on top of, uh, we feel like there's there's a necessary conversation that needs to take place to maybe broaden um, our understanding or broaden our imagination for what it looks like to simply be uh, the church. And we think it's healthy to have some of these conversations with folks that are just doing it. So we were. We were particularly interested in, in having this conversation with you because of all that jazz that you're involved in and how you see so much overlap. So I guess for the sake of maybe giving our listeners a fair shake, I'm going to read some of your specs that you provided. Is that fair? <laughs> the things that are posted on the Internet about me. That's great. Go ahead. <laughs> Let, let's, let's start <laughs> with the baseline and ease people in. So, so you graduated from PLNU, which is also Byron and I's alma mater. In 05, with a degree in media communication and minor in youth ministry. And then you got an MDiv, a Master's of Divinity um, in spiritual formation from NNU, Northwest Nazarene University in Nampa, Idaho. And that was pretty recent, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. All time blends. Feels like it had just been a decade of my life that then culminated in one really fun weekend in Idaho. And at a graduation, so <laughs> yeah. Well, that that graduation part, that yeah, I remember I, seeing I that know. in the last couple of years, I believe, on the, Facebook. The, the funniest part about graduation, and this is like this is just a short story for people in Nazarene world, maybe. But so Sophie and I, my partner and I, uh, are in Boise. We're excited to be there. We've never been to Idaho. We're just like loving uh, Boise's really cool. Uh, the river that goes through town is cool. It was fun. We show up to campus, we're at this graduation, they asked me to pray at graduation, so I got to pray over everybody graduating. 
and we're, we walk outside and I ran into Michael Pitts and I love Michael Pitts who is the chaplain at PLNU while I was a student for some of my time. <laughs> He's just a sweet hearted man. Our lives have overlapped in a couple other spaces. Um, mutual friends and music stuff. And uh, he just said, oh, Jared. And we just, you know, chat for three minutes. And we're standing in front of this huge logo. Like NNU made a five foot tall sign that's like three dimensional block letters that you could stand in front of that just said NNU. So I said, Michael Pitts, will you take my iPhone and take a photo of Sophie and I like smiling and giving a thumbs up in front of this logo? So he takes a photo of us. I don't think anything else about it. It's like the postable photo from the trip and we leave. And then I get the uh, NNU alumni magazine. It's just like the viewpoint. And it comes, you know, every couple, couple of months and uh, maybe quarterly. And, and it comes in the mail and we flip through it just like, oh, yay, graduation. And the centerfold, the middle photo that is a double spread photo is a photo that the official photographer took standing behind Michael Pitts's shoulder. And it's a photo of us, Sophie and I, like being dorks in front of the huge logo. <laughs> And we just looked at each other and we're like, in what world are we the centerfolds of anything, but then also representative of NNU? It was like my first time on the campus ever. So there, that's online education for you in, oh in a nutshell. You, know. you, you just were happy enough in that moment that it was a photogenic opportunity that couldn't pass up, apparently. It was a memorable weekend. It was great. So, yeah, that's my, that's my formal education. I'm a, I'm a learner. I love – I've absolutely loved the way the world has gone to online, like – master's classes and, and film festivals do specialized courses. And I just think we're living in a really special time where if you want to learn something, you can. And I, I would love to pursue more degrees. I have like two more degrees I would like to get, but I just, I'm really challenged right now. Like, is that ego? Like, is that, is, is wanting to have an official title? If it's not going to open any specific doors for me, then it's just pride because if I can get the practical knowledge and continue to do the work in the ministry, then why would I go stop what I'm doing to do more school? So I'm a huge advocate of education and formal education, but I just think the world is as democratized as it's ever been. So I'm a huge fan of learning and will continue to learn for a long time. You're also ordained. You're a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, you currently are pastoring at Heirloom East Bay. Some of our listeners are, you know, they're in traditional churches. They're pastors of traditional churches. Some of our listeners don't pastor, but they have some sort of, you know, they're interested in what the church might look like in the future. So maybe they want to listen to some young pastor's dream, right? So on paper, though, you're assigned uh, or you're, you're uh, a pastor at this thing called Heirloom East Bay, right? That is correct. And we're going to probably get to that in, in a second. You're also the founder of People People Media Foundation, um, director of programming at the um, this theater, yep. this theater in Oakland. So you have this really interesting marriage of these two things. You even fully wrote this bio, and I'm going to read some of it, and I want I might need to get some reaction from you or even Byron, because um, there's some things that's like, oh, dang, <laughs> I did not know this. I you know, feel like I know Jared well enough to, to have a conversation with him, but there's some things I must have just missed out on. Um, Reverend Jared is a national Emmy-nominated filmmaker whose work has been released through PBS, The New York Times, GQ, The Atlantic, Sundance, Tribeca and 250 plus film festivals worldwide. Dude, you are busy. Yeah. And you added a kid to the mix not too long ago. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I just, I'm one of those people that I feel like I have to continue to keep moving. Otherwise I will implode. So I have been gifted with a high capacity and a high amount of energy that has to get spent somewhere. So luckily for most of my life, I've decided to try and invest that in things that 
add some good in the world. Uh, <laughs> and oh telling goodness. stories is an unending hit of uh, time and effort and energy. And so, and so is farming. I pick, I pick multiple things that just could take uh, your whole life and a lifetime. And uh, doing multiple of them at a time means I'm probably doing neither of them well or to the fullest. But uh, it keeps me, as a seven, I'm sure you all know the Enneagram language and use that. I'm, I'm very much a seven with a large eight wing. So my sevenness is fulfilled by being able to activate and be enthusiastic about a lot of things at once. Doing, doing things. Yep, I do things. So you had a New York Times op doc called Saltwater Baptism, and it featured two Point Loma students. Um, and it was nominated alongside of, you know, casually nominated alongside of Lady Gaga for a 2018 Webby Award. She beat is... us for the award. It was a real bummer, but I figured we weren't going to be. Yeah, I've, I've been beat by Lady Gaga for an award is a, is a true statement. It's pro- that sounds good for two truths and a lie. I don't know if anybody would believe that if you just look at me. Uh, oh my goodness but yeah she beat us what what a brilliant aside yeah that you're just you know that's that's your end goal is winning that game two truths and a lie there you go Uh, lady gaga beat me for an award like uh surely that one's false uh 2016 you released your directorial debut featuring a documentary janie makes a play about a 90 year old woman who writes and directs original community theater productions for her small town you had some personal connection with her right that's my grandmama. Yeah, Tutu. My grandma uh, was 90, and she was writing and directing original plays. And I just thought it was so interesting. Um, she described what she was doing to me at a Christmas dinner. And then for the next couple of years, I followed her and her community around for different stints because I was pastoring full-time at the time. So I'd fly up and spend a weekend or a week with her and her community. And then in 2014, when I left full-time ministry, I really hunkered down and then directed and co-edited, helped edit uh, that film. Film. Yeah. You you also serve with all these film. You were in Atlanta with the Film Society filmmaker in residence. Produced uh, the Driver in Red. You've played in over. It's played in over 100 festivals. Won 43 awards. Dude, it, it can the your filmmaking cred just continues on and on and on. And I'm just gonna put this in the description because basically here's here's the rub. I mean, we thought about playing some games with you. We thought about some stuff, but I'm just going to say, and Byron can, can disagree. I'm curious to know <laughs> what what this is about. Byron and I have varying degrees of disillusionment when it comes to some of the traditional approaches to pastoring. That's Ooh. the angle, right? Let, let's just let's just call it what it is. The angle of why I wanted to talk to you, hopefully why Byron is just as intrigued to talk to you, is that there's some disillusionment we're all feeling particularly with what we've all collectively gone through in 2020. But it feels like you've been doing this sort of out of the box approach to life, not just pastoring, but just like you're doing some stuff that most people wouldn't combine together in their life's work. So that's been happening for a while now, right? Like how long has this Jared as pastor, filmmaker, father, like how much, how much of that has been, how long has that been going on? Uh, I feel like at some level the whole time, I think at different seasons, if you've known me or at what capacity you've known me, I might have looked like from the outside that I was fitting into traditional ministry more than I was on the inside. Um, But I'm also a a large eight wing on the Enneagram, a seven with a huge eight wing. And so I have always felt pretty confident in who I am and then have not really not not it's not that I have a lack of respect for systems. But I just, as soon as one's inefficient or it's not serving the people that it's supposed to serve up with its utmost and best use, then I, 
I would be quick to disregard a system. And I feel like the church, I rightly so, for people who want to, um, who want to spend time focusing on all the places that the church has fallen short, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I am in, in whole accord with all the ways that people who are, are captaining and have power in churches, especially the Church of the Nazarene, um, have spent time focusing on keeping power and, and keeping, I mean, you can, there's a lot of ways you can phrase it, right? So for me, I, I feel like those, these things, I mean, whether it be working on being prophetic or rebellious or however you want to frame it, it's just that I am, I'm pretty assured in myself. I'm assured in the communities that I've been a part of and the people that hold me accountable and speak into my life. And if a, if a system decides that it doesn't have space for me, then that's okay with me. And I feel like that keeps me from bending as much as others might bend to stay in a system. Um, and I just don't, I don't have the need to do that. I would rather, I would rather forge a new way or a new path. And, and one part of privilege in that is that I'm a straight, white, able-bodied, neurotypical male. So I have that going for me. I'm outspoken and good in front of people. Um, but also I didn't grow up Nazarene. So I feel like we're the, my contemporaries that I know that love and bleed for the Church of the Nazarene that's your, your lineage, your heritage, your, your multi-generations and your friends and your family and everybody you have is the Church of the Nazarene. And so your willingness to step forward or step out of line, if you want to say it harshly, is going to be far less than someone that I, I, I would be really hurt uh, if I was dismissed, but it's not my everything. I don't lose my parents and my family and my church and my friends and my... So I think in that there's freedom, not, not freedom to do anything crazy but freedom to be true like freedom to to really continually be transformed by the renewing of my mind to have the spirit leading me to to have the christ showing me how all things are connected and to be moving in ways that as i think that jesus would be disappointed with us to be able to name that and and to not just like blindly ad adhere to systems that are doing damage so i would love to talk with you about any of your qualms your current your current sticking points because i think there is more than enough space for that and I think there's more than enough space for reconstruction. Or if this needs to, to burn and die and we need to start something else, if only, if only there was a good story of death and resurrection in our tradition that could guide us through what it would mean to have something fully die and then be reborn. I mean, wouldn't that be really helpful if, if Jesus had left us a story <laughs> like that that could help us through this time in the church history? Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, 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 dare to, I would dare to say yes. I don't know if I really think we go qualms or we, do, we go... Uh, imagining something better. Well, well, burn burn it down first, and then build it back up. That's fine. What do you What do you want? What do you What do you need? To, you need to voice any grievances today. I can hold them with you. Full, full disclosure. I I think we talk about this. Byron Byron is a former pastor, so I and I'm still barely a pastor. So we kind of try to have that balance on our podcast. But <laughs> yeah. I defer to Byron. What do you think we do, Byron? What, how do we progress forward with how we ask some questions of Jared to share his story? Well, I mean, I don't know. How do we progress to ask questions of him? Like, Do we start with the airing some qualms about what we don't think works in pastoring? Or should we just focus on, I, wow, Jared does some stuff out the box, and I just want to know all about that. The problem I've had, Jared, on this podcast is, and, and people have complained a little bit about it, and I understand their complaints, and I, I get it. They say that we can be negative, and that's definitely me. I'm a cynical person. Hmm. Um, I've always been cynical. Um, at different times, it's been better or worse. It's This year's made it much worse for me. Mm. Um, worse than it's been in a long time, I think. But for me, I tr I'm trying to 
make sure that I question myself and say, okay, am I just saying these are all the bad things, which I, I still believe are legit, but I, you know, I want to make sure we talk about the good too. And if we burn out everything down, what are we replacing it with? Hmm. Because at times I want to just burn it. I'm, I'm going to be honest. That's what I want. Yeah, but it then should. I, yeah. I, but I think, have I done the work though to have new growth come out of that fire? Hmm. And I don't think in my personal life and the way I've, I've approached this, my cynicism, I don't think I'm there, but so I, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time with saying, Hey, let's just burn it all down. Cause I want to make sure we have something positive. Cause I don't, I don't just want it to be gone. Yeah. I want something good to grow. So I guess I would start with that personally. Cause that's something I struggle with. If we burn down some of our systems or take things and just get rid of them, What's coming next? I mean, I know, I know that's on our list. We're going to talk about that too. Yeah. Like, what's what's after? It comes after the 2020 because it was a crazy year. But like, what are the things that you saw when you did? I'll say typical ministry that you think might have been worthwhile or things we can still build on. And then, then I do want to know, like, you're out of the box thinking the things that like you're a creative guy. So I want to know ideas you have for moving forward and doing things differently and how to how to find new ways to love people that we haven't that we've been neglecting for generations hmm well i i can sit in the i can sit with it with you in it byron i i i think one of the things that the evangelical church has done really poorly is skipping good friday to get to easter sunday and i feel like we've been given this great story um that needs holy saturday you need to have a day where everything that you believed was wrong and died where the person who was going to save you failed you where you're alone, where you're scared for your life, and that that is also part of the story. And I feel like, even in your framing of you, you, we, I'll speak as I'm with you, we are so embedded in the tradition that raised us that we are unable to fully allow ourselves to have a season of the Saturday, of the Friday and the Saturday, because even in your framing to me is, yeah, but, but tell us where there's hope. And what if I just said, no, if this needed to be a Friday night or a Saturday of, yeah, I'm speaking to Easter weekend and people who know the tradition, then then freaking sit in it, then sit in it for a really long time and that that's enough and that's okay. I've got a, a couple examples for you. They're, they come from nature, so they're, they're good um, and true and they've been here before you and I were born and they'll be here after you and I die, which is incredibly comforting to a cynic. It's just like, yeah, it's all, it's all Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless. No, nothing matters, Byron. Nothing <laughs> matters. It's all meaningless. <laughs> and then if you can accept that, then you, Anne Lamott says, she, she, wrote, she wrote the book about prayer, like help things wow. She has said that she would add the um, prayers, oh, well, and whatever. And, and I think <laughs> that maybe you need a season. You, you're gifted a season where a God or mystery or truth, whatever it needs to be called to you in this season, broken out of the constraints and confines of organized white Christian colonialism, then you need to have a season. You could have a season where the mystery or truth says, yeah, whatever, whatever, oh, well, whatever. And then you, by not needing to move to good growth or good fruit, you allow yourself the season to heal. So here's an example for, from trees. The redwood forest, the great redwood forest here in California, uh, when the park service organized, they came in and did a survey of the forest and said, oh, okay, this is what we see. Sometimes lightning will strike these very tall trees and it burns down the forest. So what we can do as one of the ways we can help save this forest and the trees is we can have a great fire brigade and we can get good at putting out fire, right? So when a section of the forest catches on fire, we're going to be quick to put out the fire. So on the surface, that's a good thing. I think everyone in a meeting would be like, oh, the tree's not burning down. Good thing, right? They're like thousands of years old. So they go out and they start putting out fires. And after a couple of years of putting out fires, 
all these new diseases started to kill the trees. The trees started to die from weird bugs and weird diseases, and they couldn't figure out mosses, and things just were going haywire. And then finally someone figured out, no, everything needs to burn in seasons because the burning actually caused the forest to reset and cause health. So when the trees would burn, they wouldn't all burn. They, a big network would burn because the roots are all tied together. But the root networks would keep the trees from completely dying out, right? So moving that to us, in order for there to be true health, I think we do need seasons where things are just legit on fire. Full redwood trees burned down and were never redwood trees again. And viewing that as a part of the ecosystem and zooming out, right? Being able to have perspective and zooming out and having some kind of historical context about what's going on, then it's okay and painful for that tree to just freaking burn. It's gone. There's no redemption in that tree being gone in the individualness of it. But when you look at it in the web of interconnected community, there's incredible value because then the community continues. So yeah, I'll talk positive with you, but I just think it needs to be like done from the full acknowledgement, the non-skipping over, not saying happy Easter on Friday night. That's garbage. That is garbage. That is bad pastoring, right? That is bad pastoring to be playing happy Easter music on Palm Sunday. That is, that is BS, right? So can we, can we acknowledge that we failed our people, that we failed with this happy, happy, joy, joy pastoring so that your whole life has been spent, that you think and you believe somewhere deep in you that there isn't full space for mourning, gnashing of teeth, yelling at God and walking away for, and that's it, period. Not like a walk away so you can come back, like just walk away. Like that's the hero's journey, that's Joseph Campbell, that's every story, that's like every religion has these stories of needing to leave home to suffer that the, the, the greatest treasure is in the cave in which you're most scared to go. And then when you learn those lessons, then what do you do? You return home to tell the story. You kill the lion and you return home and you tell the story. And then now you are the wise counsel in your village. Like, I, so you, I hope you're getting a little bit of zoom out perspective. I think that's one of the things we've done wrong is we've honed, honed in on this thing where we overvalue ourselves. We're like, oh, we're the hands and feet of God. So it's on us. It's on us to do this. And I just feel like that. It's the reason we're burned out. It's the reason we don't Sabbath. It's because we're overvaluing our work in what God is doing. And so I'm, I'm telling you, the trees existed before you. They're going to exist after you. Oh, you know, whatever. It's like as a healthy prayer. So now what do you want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, we talked about having a time to mourn in a period of understanding that the church has a life cycle and we're not, we're not the only thing that, like God's not relying just on us individuals to keep going what's that look like so if we decide we're going to burn some of these things down and it might be traditional services on sundays or weekday services or whatever it might be <laughs> whatever we focus on that's like our our our, our golden calf that we have to have mm. what else is out there i there are people doing creative awesome things in the church um what are things you've seen what are things you've experienced like you're you're doing things you're not you were you left like full-time ministry anyway and started making film and doing like just creative, fun things and telling stories. So, like, what? Where do we go as a church? Like, what? How can we use those things? I guess. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna take issue with something Byron said, but not really, because like, full <laughs> full time ministry is another. I'm gonna. I'm learning from Jared already. That's like a loaded statement in and of itself that I take and, and, personal okay, beef with. Well, but okay, but to clarify, that's how I meant it. I meant it as a loaded statement because <laughs> as people who listen to this podcast know, I'm no longer a pastor, but I work with special needs people Woo! and that's my ministry. Amen. So I'm, I, I don't work for a church. I don't even at this, I haven't attended a church in a while because of COVID, but like 
Like the, I meant it the way I said it because that's how the the quote unquote world looks at the church. Like what's full time ministry? You're in an office. You're getting a sermon ready. All of that. So I, I meant it that way on purpose. Okay, just to good. clarify. Well, I interrupted mm-hmm. Byron's question. So Jared, just like, what are you doing, dude? What, <laughs> you're, where, where, where are you even physically at, dude? Because I think we just need we need a, a broader a, a broader imagination for yeah. for being pastors or being people that are just trying to do good things. Well, so like I'm, physically, right now, you're at a place, dude. Tell us about that place. I'm standing in an orchard by a creek on 95 acres of land uh, that was originally Ohlone land uh, here 20 minutes south in the hills above and next to uh, Oakland, California. So, man, I can tell you how we got here. <laughs> so, 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 so <laughs> metaphor, let's play that metaphor out. Some trees had to burn for that, right? Yeah, almost definitely. I, let's, yeah, he's, um, okay, I'll give you this. I left full-time ministry, quote unquote, Byron. Uh, in t- 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 2014 and continued to travel and speak at retreats and summer camps and stuff. But I moved into full-time filmmaking and uh, my wife and I, we moved to Atlanta. She got into a three-year Masters of Divinity program in, in person. And so that provided this great, this great move for me where we left our community, right? We had to leave home. We left a place where, um, and I've said this before, I feel like at Point Loma, as you guys all know, uh, small Nazarene communities, we were, and I've said this before, we were a medium-sized fish in a small pond. So we were a lot of people's lifelines. We had things to do every day of the week, and it was good. We had community. But when we moved to Atlanta, I made a point of it for that first year, and part of it was because the Church of the Nazarene is very weak in Georgia, um, that I went to a different church every Sunday for a year. I went wow. to uh, every denomination I could go to. I went to big churches. I went to small churches. I went to some of the biggest mega churches in the country. I went to all black churches. I went to uh, Pentecostal churches. I went to, I just like, I went to a different church every week, a different church gathering, church service, we'll say, because we need to reclaim the word church here on this podcast too. Sure. Um, and so it was wildly freeing. I think the, the summation of that year for me is that God is way bigger than I had been giving God credit for that there are many, many ways to gather the body of Christ. Um, and that I need to be loosened up from what I had done or what I had been responsible for or shepherding to maybe recalibrate what God was doing in the world. Um, that Again, there were these churches, these groups of people. So a church being the body of Christ, people, human beings, gathering in the name of Christ and moving forward in the name of love. Okay, so let's use that now. So there have been these groups of people gathering since before I was born, and they had been doing good work for decades and decades and centuries, some of them. And so for me, that reframed what it meant to be gathering. And so from there, Sophie and I, as we started to construct what we wanted to do in ministry, and as she finished her schooling and we started to get job offers, we had some in Atlanta and had some interesting conversations to move back to San Diego, we realized that we needed to be a part of something that foundationally looked different, that it maybe went back to the core um, values of what Christ had modeled to us, the Christ, Jesus, the Christ, had modeled to us um, in scriptures. And then that looked like uh, mentoring young adults in an intentional Christian community. So both Sophie and I had been drawn to monastic communities. We both spent time in a couple of silent retreats at places in Georgia and then around the world. On our honeymoon, we got to be a part of a community called Taze in France, which is a whole long story and is wonderful. We got to lead a group there through First Church, and then we part of a study group called Labrie, which is in the hills of Switzerland. And we've been opened up to all these different ways that people, well, and Larsh communities, Byron. Do you know Larsh? Is Larsh who you work for? 
You know, no. Larsh communities. Okay. I don't. So, so well, the Larsh communities are groups that connect uh, differently abled members with able-bodied members, and they live together in intentional homes, supporting each other. It's awesome. It's an incredible, incredible group. So. Um, we just had been exposed to different ways to do life in church, right? Capital C church. So we had conversations. We were speaking here out on the NorCal district, um, at a Chinese church retreat and then a summer camp. And then we got to speak on a panel about social justice, Sophie and I, uh, at one of their district, uh, assemblies. And we got into a conversation over dinner with a pastor named Jeffrey Perganian, who I had known from Point Loma. We were there overlapping, but we weren't friends in school. And he asked me what I was doing with my life, and I talked about movies and speaking, and I was writing a book. And he said, well, why, what's going to happen to that book? Will it come out in the world? And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, well yeah, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's the next right thing to do. It was called Now What? And it was just the, the, uh, the coalescence of all my time in youth ministry and all my time spent around college students and youth staff and all the questions I would get asked all the time about adulting. <laughs> and could I put them down in one place? And I, he said, wait, what, is that going to come out in the world? I was like, I don't know. Maybe I just feel like it's the right thing to write it. And he said, well, I can help with that. So he and his group of young adults, and this is where we're like, I'll tell a side story, and then they're going to hit each other, right? Sure. So Jeff Perganian was pastoring, uh, got called to pastor a church in NorCal called Sunnyvale Church of the Nazarene. And they at one point were a 250 or 300-person church that had shrunk down to six, six people. And their building, their building needed work. It needed a million dollars of work. It needed a new roof, and the basement had flooded. So he gets called up here, does a year or so, and grows the church to 30, 35. And then they have a conversation about what are we going to be. And the answer from a lot of the church people were, well, we want a children's ministry, a youth ministry. We want to sing in a choir. And after a real honest conversation, they said, well, in order to do all this work on this building, we're never going to be able to get there even with building it on the backs of this group. But there are three other Nazarene churches within a five-mile radius of this place. What if some of you that want some traditional ministries go to, you know, Palo Alto or Cupertino or Santa Clara? You're not going to be dropped by the church of Nazarene, the denomination. But what if we reallocate these, these funds and we sell this building and we reinvest it for experimental ministry in the Bay Area? So that's kind of, it's like there's a meetings and meetings and like we're condensing years of work and red tape and and stuff down to the sentiment of can we can we reinvest these monies that have been given as faithful ties for generations to buy this property in Sunnyvale and run a traditional church that had gone through its life cycle can we reinvest it into something experimental and so they said yes so they started seed funding Jeff grew this thing he started a two-year internship program that at the time was called the possibility project and people would come young adults would come and they would spend two years, and they would get free housing in the Bay Area, which is a ton of money, right? <laughs> yeah. And in exchange for 10 to 15 hours a week of ministry hours. But they could do whatever they wanted. So some people chose to do traditional pulpit supply and or you know, children's ministry or worship ministries. That's great. Some of the people who are, are people that never – they either would have left the church or wouldn't be back in church or were business people or had masters and other things decided that they would take those giftings and – invent new ways to do ministry like it was like it's like a not a petri dish that's a better it's like an incubator like incubator language is very clear or or like common in the bay area silicon valley so it's like can we do some ministry incubator work where we're starting new experimental things so one example is brandon napoli uh was young 30s had already gone had had a successful business career but was like this is not good for my soul this is not what i want to do with the rest of my life and he came to the possibility project and he started a 
co-working space that was uh, much like we work without the corruption, right? So <laughs> they, he figured out that entrepreneurs and artists need office space in the Bay and churches need relationships with non-Christians and their community and entrepreneurs need the office space but they can't afford it. But churches, although they're busy on Sunday morning, are open and available the rest of the week. So he's thought, what if we could create co-working spaces where churches could start a network, they spread the word, and then local people who need desk and space can come work during the week and have community. And he started one. It was called Sacred Space, and it ran out of the Palo Alto Church for a couple of years. And it was great. It, I mean, it was just like started all these relationships, and they met people in the community, and they kind of became like a support group, like traditional church language could call it a, a discipleship group or a small group. <laughs> That was a that was Sunday school, not on Sundays. Yeah, that was born out of like <laughs> just celebrating these people as they like journeyed together and struggled together and got to know each other in their lives. So, and this is the creative part: it was making money, right? So you could build that model into a thing where it's subscription-based. The people are giving money, and now they have like some ownership and and heart and time and life ownership, and it's just just creative stuff. So the Possibility Project is doing well. It has the ability to expand. And Jeff and I, he, I, I flew out a couple times to workshop this book with his people. And then he just said, this is one of the coolest like Holy Spirit moments of our lives. Sophie and I are very intellectual. And so very rarely would we ever, or if never, say God told us. That's like not language that super resonates with us. Um, or at least Byron causes a lot of skeptical questions fairly, right? <laughs> so um, we had this moment where I was leaving the Bay Area and I was about to drive to the airport. And Jeff just said, hey, would you and Sophie consider moving out here and helping me expand this project to like Oakland or San Francisco? Or we could, we could expand what we could do if we had a staff of three or two and a half instead of one. And um, me being the half person. And, uh, <laughs> and I just said, wow, that sounds amazing. That could be really great. I go to call Sophie. I call her on the, on the drive to the airport. And she leads with, she had been at a, a retreat. And she said, you'll never guess what God just told me. I feel like we should go run... We should do young adult intentional Christian community. And I was just like, I got Holy Spirit goosebumps. And I was like, you'll never guess what Jeff just did. He just opened the door to do that exact thing that you just said. And it was just like this incredible, like, God opening doors for both of us separately that were the same door to walk through. So we were faithful and came to the Bay Area and worked with that for two years. And then that's where, like, these stories are coming together. Uh, how do we end up on a farm? My long-term <laughs> dream was, is to, was to, to own a summer camp or a winter camp, a campground, uh, where artists could come together. They could make their work in community. They could be encouraged. They could eat good food. They could listen to music. They could watch good movies. They could encourage and critique and beat each other up in a safe space. And I was telling that uh, story to someone on our district over coffee, and he just said, wait a second, I think I know a place. Two weeks later, we were out here in Oakland. We toured the space, and I thought it was going to be a one-year tour. Or, I mean, a one-year. I thought it was going to be a one-hour tour. And six hours later, I've gotten the former owner's full life story. I've gotten a full two-hour tour of the place. And then we went to Chinese Feed with him and his wife and talked all about their hopes and visions and what God had done and what they hoped God would do on this property. And then the district made some bold moves and defended us when people didn't get it and um, opened the doors. So we moved all of our four community homes out here to this 95 acre ranch farm and it's amazing so there yeah <laughs> now now ask follow-up questions so that that's how that's how it happened so now i'm the metaphor of the metaphor yeah. of a, a redwood burning and something being born from it you know is pretty palpable after this right story. But do you have a do you have were you gonna say something byron okay so you've gone on this this journey to going like so you went from 
quote unquote traditional ministry to other things to now you you and your wife are moving um and you're doing you're the half person in the ministry or whatever yep so wrap that all together so you are a pastor you're a husband you're mm-hmm. a filmmaker you're an father. artist you're a father yeah how to like so this is what i'm talking about like the, being things that we wouldn't do before and you said people had to defend you the district stood up for you guys and said hey this is what we're trying to accomplish how do we as the church global and not just the nazarene church but we can talk about the nazarene church itself how do we get out of our old rut and say hey we're gonna do things differently and instead Mm. of just saying this is what we do we we look at our community and say what does our community need how can we fill those needs and still be uh, honest to the gospel and be followers of Christ. Now, my argument for that would be if you're filling needs in your community, you're probably filling, you're fulfilling the call of Christ to build the kingdom. But a lot of church people, and I put that in quotes, air quotes, don't see it that way. They say, well, if you're not telling them directly about, if you're not, you know, making sure they end up in heaven, it's not ministry. Yeah. How do we be creative in that as a, as a church, the global church, the Nazarene church, however you want to break it down, how do we get out of our old ruts and move forward and say, hey, we need to do new things because the old way is not working anymore, and we need to find a way to actually connect to people and build a community in creative ways. Can, can I add to that question before you answer, Jay? Well, I already have, like, multiple answers to that question. So <laughs> do you, do you want to hold Let me, okay, let me focus it for you then. Is that okay. fair? I think we have a listener niche and I'm not a hundred percent sure on this. So let's, let's say for the sake of argument, this is speculative, but I'm still going to ask you the question and focus it on young pastors who are disillusioned as well. Mm -hmm. Let's just say for the sake of argument that plenty of our listeners are young pastors who are like, man, I have some convictions. I'm in this traditional setting, but I would love, I love some direction to innovate, right? I would love, some insight as to maybe you are having conversations with traditional church leaders and you're having to speak a certain language. I, I don't know. Maybe that's, you find yourself in those things, but if there's just a little piece to this of, of, uh, cause I, I guess there's the danger that this conversation becomes an either or thing, right? It's like we're only doing church via heirloom. It's a, it's a farm collaborative communal life thing. And we don't want any more traditional churches to exist. I don't, I have not heard you say that. One bit, but I would I would speculate that some folks are worried that that might be the end of the conversation they might have. Yeah, I you're right on it with I I feel like anytime you do something different, even if you don't mean it to be, it's going to be interpreted as an indictment on the status quo. Right. So that's part of like the innovators dilemma. Like you're going to have to hold that. Um, and it's kind of being a prophet. Like I, 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 I definitely am not proclaiming that over us, but I am saying this, that the way that I read the prophets in the scriptures is that they were, we, we very much put this false sense that they were like seeing the future. And I think what the prophets were doing often was that they had a, a honest and clear viewership of what was going on in the present. So a prophet often could be someone who is seeing the present as it's happening for what it truly is, instead of being so swooped up into systems that you miss it and then only see it later, if ever. So for, we'll get to the young pastors part, but I'm going to start with what Byron asked. I think the first step is that we need to be listeners and not always posture ourselves like we have the correct answer. And I feel like when I was growing up, the way that they taught us to do evangelism was the world is dying. They, they are sick. You have the serum. And if you don't tell your friends on the football team about Jesus, then they're dying. 
and rotting corpses in front of you and you don't actually love them enough because you won't tell them about Jesus and you have the right answer and it's selfish not to share it. And I understand how we got to that metaphor, but I think it is a incredibly damaged story that we put on, on us and that we're still holding and that we should all be processing in therapy. So here's the commercial for therapy. If you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening to this right now, and Byron, you and Josiah, you, if you have not done therapy with a non-Christian, go do therapy with a person who's, and you can still have a spiritual mentor and you could go to a spiritual director. I think that's great. I think you should also see a spiritual director, but you, I would highly suggest, and I have been wildly edified and benefited by a non-Christian therapist who I can work these, these things out with who can hear my story and my Christianese from the outside and bring a, what I would say is God-given perspective, even though he would never claim that, into my life and story to show me the ways that this has been traumatic, right? So me always being taught, even when I was a punk young kid that didn't have any answers, that I, sh I should still be asking good questions, but I thought that I had something that they needed or they die has put us in a position of not listening. So the first thing we need to do is shut up and start listening. And look, how about this? And this is fits our theology. Look for the ways that God's already at work in the world. God is doing a thing. Can we just pay attention to the ways that God is doing that thing in other people, of other skin colors, in other traditions? Okay, let's get controversial. In other religions, of other sexualities? Like, God is doing a thing. God is there. Love is moving. The Christ, capital C, that was in Jesus of Nazareth, is, is moving and doing things. So if you believe that, then look for it. You're not the only way that God of uh, love is trying to express God's self in the world. So if we can listen, if we can watch, and that's why I love storytelling because it causes me to be empathetic, right? The whole point of stories is ingesting someone else's story so that you can have your heart softened and your hands opened, that you can develop empathy and be able to be more compassionate or more patient or more good or more kind, all the things that we are taught that the fruit of the Spirit would grow in us. So here's one that's controversial. I think we need less Jesus and more Christ. Okay, I think we need less Jesus and more Christ. So we have been given the scriptures and I have held them with so much respect and so they have in some ways become a golden calf for me because, and I'm processing this in therapy, I have consistently held Jesus Christ, Jesus from, of Nazareth, as the, the perfect being that we believe him to be. But that has been my standard for action, which has caused nothing but less than ship, right? I'm not claiming the Roman 7, 8, like I am the heir to the throne. I am a sibling of Christ. I am adopted into the family. I am grafted in because I've been holding the fact that I'm not Jesus so heavily. And this is my, maybe my own damage and nobody relates to this. So if we could start seeing the ways where Jesus is speaking as Jesus, but then when is Jesus speaking as the Christ, the universal Christ, the Christ that has been in all and was at the beginning and is 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 the word made flesh and, and comes back and goes beyond Jesus, the dead being that is dead and that is the Christ that is, is resurrected and that is the Holy Spirit that is in us, then I think what we'd see is that everything is everything, that we're way more tied in and way more connected to everything than we believe. And I think as soon as we do that, it's kind of the zoom out pale blue dot idea. Like if Christians could listen and shaken ourselves away from this idea that we are responsible for everything and every soul and kind of move our timeline from this, like the clock is ticking, the clock is ticking, the clock is ticking, people are dying and it's your fault to this broader perspective of the trees right? What did the trees think of you, Josiah? What did the trees think of your kids, right? Like, and, <laughs> and, and if that could become our posture, now I've got a message for young pastors. 
then we could take a freaking breath. Take a breath and realize the ways, and you asked this, Brian, like the ways of what we were doing is, is still good. The best things that we did was when we were with people who were suffering. It's all the same answers. Can you find someone who's hungry and feed them? Can you find someone who's thirsty and give them something to drink? Can you sit with someone who's widowed or suffering or alone? Like, can you find people who are hurting? And it's easy to do. They're everywhere. Richard Rohr has a thing above his desk that says everyone's carrying an unseen burden, which I love that. That you don't have to look far to find people are hurting, especially because church people are the most damaged and effed up of all of us, right? Like, if, <laughs> if you, we're gonna get real niche. Any of you who have spent any time in a church office know that some of the the most messed up people come oh, yeah. on staff. Like, we need so much help and love. So it's hard though because now we're asking young pastors who are also being wounded and afflicted currently. Your wounder and abuser sometimes is people on your church board. It might be your senior pastor. It might be someone on staff. It could be someone in the congregation. And we're asking you to do good work and be loving in the midst of being abused. So if you are being verbally, physically, mentally, spiritually abused, you might need to find a season of health where you burn it down or move away or create some space. And that is fine. That is great. That I'm, I'm welcoming and inviting you to that. And yes, and if you're in a space to realize that these are also hurting people, that this is everything is everything, that how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so if we can make these small, small things into moments of great, great love, then you'll have extended patience for everything that comes into your office, everything that sits in front of you, every email you get and every interruption you get. I am finding that we come to God or truth or mystery. This is Richard Rohr quote. Uh, by doing it wrong. And so for me, the places where I get it wrong are my teaching moments. And I, as a person who is a high energy activator, needs to be a moving person. The place for me where this transformed is when I changed my body posture. So there's a woman in our office who's the church secretary named Jan, and she's a talker. Jan knows this. I'd say it to her face. She's a talker. And I would be <laughs> dominating emails or writing a sermon or coming up with a game or whatever things are expected of youth pastors. And Jan would come in and I would look to my left, like 90 degrees. I would look over my shoulder and look at her. But I would keep my hands on my keyboard so that she would know that I needed to be working and that when she wrapped up her, you know, sentence that was a five minute long sentence, she could leave and I could go back to work. And I was wildly convicted on that and realized that I should rotate my shoulders. I should rotate my spinning chair. I needed to fold my hands on my lap and I need to look her in the eyes and sit there squared up shoulder to shoulder, face to face for as long as that human being needed to talk. And I mean, if you want to overly spiritualize it, which I don't think it's over-spiritualizing, it's the entertaining angels idea. It's not that, oh, maybe I need to get it right because one in a hundred is going to be an angel. It's that a hundred in a hundred is an angel. It's that a hundred in a hundred is an enfleshed spirit standing in front of you, interacting with you, and that has something to teach you and humble you and offer you and to be served and loved by you, that has a need of you, that has a burden that needs to be held by you, and that's pastoring. So anyone has a pastoral call, like, Byron, I don't care who pays someone's paycheck, like, I, I care that you are being pastoral, which you are doing, especially in the community of which you've chosen, not just the members that you interact with, but with their families, their siblings, and their parents, right? There's nobody that needs to be looked at in the eyes more than the parent of someone who's differently able to say, you're doing it. It's good, and it's capital H holy, and what you're doing is pastoral. I just got goosebumps. That, that, <laughs> that, that, is, that is the spirit of the living Christ alive in this planet, and I don't give two shits whether that person goes to church on Sunday. Like, I just don't care. And so if we don't wake up to that, then we are missing what God is doing in the world. And so for, for us to put categories on anybody about what they are or not doing or what God is not doing or not, or who pays their paycheck, or if they should be a pastor, capital P, or lower P, or no pastor, like, I just, 
I just don't care. Like, I, I just don't care about that at all because in some ways life is too short to care about that stuff and it's way too long to care about that stuff. You're, we're going to waste so many moments where we could be present, we could square our shoulders, we could be at peace, we could take a deep breath and we are caught up in the minutia of garbage that just wastes all of our time. So, so there you go. Amen. Have a great day, guys. Uh, thanks for participating. <laughs> <in this. laughs> oh, I have so many follow-up questions. I, I, oh. I would defer to Byron if, if he doesn't have anything, but there's so many things that strike me that I immediately want to say, okay, this I, connects with this in my life. But I just want to make a statement, I guess. Um, this has been a great conversation. I'm, really, I'm very much enjoying it. But like... I get asked occasionally by people, hey, are you ever going to become a pastor again? <laughs> and my, my main answer is no. But then I followed up with my ministry is with children who have special needs or adults. It's it's, it's varied at different times. Yeah. And you're right. It's their parents. It's other mm. people. And I have like, I work at a school. Or I worked at a school until recently. I just resigned because I'm moving. But um, I had like the second to last day of school, I had a kid beating me up. Mm. And then the day before that, I had a kid I had to remove from a class because he's just screaming in my face. And... I mm. thanked people for helping me out of that situation. Like, hey, thanks for being there, helping me, you know, supporting me. And I just go, I don't know how you have the patience. Mm. And I was thinking about that while you were speaking. And honestly, for me, that's a gift. I don't know where it came from. I don't, I, I was not a, Josiah can tell you when I was young, <laughs> I was not a patient person. But when it comes to people who have special needs or people who have struggles in their lives that are not their own. They, they, they you know, they were born with it or that, you know, I'm just, I'm very patient with them. I can be frustrated with them, but I, I don't <laughs> show it because that's not helpful. But like, like I, my whole thing is, Hey, I'm here for you. I want to love you. I want to help you. And even if that means you're beating the crap out of me and I might have to stop you from doing that, unfortunately. Um, but like, I might have to actually put my hands on you occasionally. And I hate that. That, that mm. breaks my heart. I had yeah. to restrain a kid this week at the end of the, the second to last day of school. Mm. And honestly, it put me over the top. I was done. I was just frustrated. Mm. I didn't want to do it anymore because I hate doing, it. Yeah. but it is part of my job. And he, he was a threat to other people. So I had to do my job, but like, that's the part that I hate, but being patient afterwards and being able to talk to him and tell him, I care about him. Even if he didn't care, believe me, that's fine. But that's, the, that patience comes from God. It's not me because I don't have that naturally. Mm. I, I don't know where I got that from. You, it's definitely not mine. It's something that God has given me to use. Yeah, but like um, just hearing those things. Like when people say, "Are you going to be a pastor?" And I go, "I'm. I'm doing ministry. It might not be what you think it is. It doesn't look like you think it should. I don't care. Yep. I'm doing what God's called me to do, and it's it's a struggle um, every day. Um, just like." But it's an enjoyable struggle, unlike when I was a pastor at a church full time. Um, it yeah. was a different struggle, but one was terrible and I hated it. The other one, <laughs> I'll fight it every day. Yeah. So I, I know that's a part of who I am. So being able to look at someone and say, hey, you're doing it, like you said, to those parents and support those people and say, hey, this is yeah. this is working. It's a struggle. You're, you're struggling. Yeah. We're all struggling. We're all in pain. But how can I help you make it just the tiniest bit better if I can? What mm. can I do to help you? That's servanthood, and that's where I feel like God's called me to do, and that's ministry. Yeah, and you amen. can do it in a million ways. That's right. I'm in sorry. Any that, industry. Yeah. Oh, you're so you're so on it. I'm so sorry that you had that experience on the toward the end of school. That is incredibly difficult, and I I just I see that, and I want to hold that with you. I 
I had friends that graduated from Point Loma with Bible degrees, and then they left traditional ministry and are doing other work like uh, firefighter, EMT, paramedic, you know, like, and, you, and or, you know, teacher. And you're just like, yeah, amen. Great. Like, this is, here's one of the rubs. This is where I think we get in trouble, right? Is I see, even in my own district, the people that are older than me still place a very high premium on conversions, right? On conversions and baptisms, on getting people to pray that. And I don't want to speak in wild generalizations, but the people my age and younger or the people that I interact with regularly, we're just not focusing on that. And it's not because we don't care about it. Um, and it might be interpreted that we don't care about it. It's just I'm, I'm viewing a way longer game, right? It's a way longer play. It's yes. just it's going to be it's going to be all relational. And it's and, and I understand. I understand and hear the stories of someone who street preacher or who hears the gospel or in their lowest moment and read the, you know, the Bible in the hotel room and amen for that because God works through all these things. I don't need to pendulum too far the other way and miss the gray of the middle. So that's, that's good gospel, good for some, but for the way that I feel led and convicted to lead my life in no form, a cop out, I I'm going to play a way longer game. And so I'm, I'm, I'm telling people what we are and what we're a church, but I'm not meeting people at film festivals and rushing to, to testify as to what God is doing in my life overtly using scriptures with the aim of converting them. I will not do that. That's not, that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen in my lifetime. And it's uh, disingenuous at best. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, again, not speaking for people doing, cause I know again, like even our district superintendent is it, great. He just came to Christ late in life. So he has a completely different perspective than me. He, no, but it's not right, for his, you his, to do it. Exactly. Right. But then, but then, you know, that's where we're all have a very egocentric, we're all seeing the world through our own eyeballs, right? So he cannot separate himself from his story, which is if someone hadn't testified to an adult person about the name of Jesus Christ, his whole life would be different. His wife and family and life and ministry, none of it would exist. And therefore, the prime importance for him in leading the church, being the pastor to pastors, is to help us be on mission in spreading the name of Jesus Christ. And he's not wrong. He, the, the, the manual says that. Like, you're on point, right? But as I exegete my neighborhood, as I meet my neighbors, as I am faithful to the way that God is building and constructing me, if only I had a scripture that was something about like the body of Christ, where an eye would be an eye and a hand would be a hand and a nose would be a nose and a foot would be a foot. And they would they would do different things. They would look different things. They wouldn't even understand each other, but they would be part of one body. And if only we could come back to that because... I could say to the hand, thank God that you exist and that you're doing this with your hand, but I'm an eyeball or maybe I'm an ear. And that's just what I'm going to be. It's what I'm going to be. And and an ear can never be a hand. The best ear in the world is not a hand. And can we just deal with that? And and you don't think that I'm continually failing because I don't have the numbers and the stats on my pastoral annual report? It's your report card. Right. Talking about like pastoral report cards and getting bogged down in the muck and the mire of the day to day. Talking about some existential uh, you know, ecumenical, just these crazy big picture things. You're talking about this long game and some of, uh, yeah, I'm, we have, uh, our demographics are interesting with our podcast. We actually, the second biggest age group that listens to our podcast. And it surprised me. I don't know if I've told Byron this yet, but it was 60 and above. Oh, amen. Okay. Hey, 60 and above people. Amen for your faithfulness. We exist because of you. We are building on what you did. We are learning from you. And I hope that you continue to learn and grow. Right. I mean, that's like, Thank you. Like I just, I don't think we honor our elders enough. Uh, the people who have who have lived it, and there, I cannot believe, I cannot imagine 
being a person over 60 right now and having any hope still in the church, but, but I, but I can't, but I can, because I know us. some, some of the most in tune and, and with it, people over 60 are the ones who are listening to a podcast like this because they want to keep their fingers on the pulse of what's going on. And just while I'm talking, let's not completely poo poo statistics because also let's swing the pendulum back the other way. We need accountability. So if yeah. we have a bunch of people who aren't doing anything, then what other metrics do we have than fruit? And it's hard to say, have you grown more patient this year? Have you grown more kind this year? And so we bumper sticker boil down these huge Christ concepts and movements down to are people professing the name of Jesus Christ? So I don't think that's bad. I think there is good things there. It's just when we boil that down to whether you're succeeding or not, quote unquote, in ministry, now we're not being the body of Christ anymore. We're just trying to be a bunch of hands. And that's not, that's not helpful. So, I agree. I, I yeah. agree. And that's part of, part of my conviction, my calling to do a podcast is simple. It's that we need to hear more of the stories of what it looks like for the foot to do its job or the eye to do its job mm. or the hand to do its job to just kind of capitalize on the fact that there is more diversity than we might actually even realize or sometimes <laughs> acknowledge in the mm. first place. Right. Right. So, so for me, so stories are important. You're, so you're telling me that stories are important. I'm telling a filmmaker, Byron, <laughs> Byron I'm telling a filmmaker that stories are important. Oh, good. That's the a good irony. idea. I'll, I'll dedicate my life to that. Then, okay. Right? So good. I'm glad we got, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Just, uh, <laughs> you just changed Jared's whole life. Good <laughs> you, bud. Amen. Um, no, but, but truly like I'm hearing all these wonderful things, like we should maybe listen better and we should you know, be slow to speak and just like, maybe we should let our perspectives and the way we see things be challenged. And we all play this unique role. Those are all things that it's like, oh, wow. It's like, that's written down somewhere and it's simple and we could do so many things with that. But I'm going to ask, and this goes wherever you want it to go, Jared. And, uh, the long game, uh, we try to ask this of, of, of most of our guests, but what do you see it looking like if, if you're the most optimistic and excited about where the church is going, where young people could take this whole, you know, kingdom life moving forward? What, what are you most excited about? If there's a simple thing, they're like, that's it. I see it happening there. Like where, it, just, just like you talked about with our theology, where is it that the kingdom is already present? Where do you see that? And what gets you just jazzed if it's not something we already talked about? If it is, that's fine. Talk about it more. But if there's something else that we missed, name it. Yeah, I think that's uh, a great question. I think it's eating together. I think eating meals together is something that is incredibly holy that the church used to do well that we don't do well anymore. And partly it's just the way society structured us. And we believe in white picket fences as like some capitalistic ideal that we should look up to. And that's just garbage. So <laughs> I think com communal living is it's so heirloom now is a, a place that you can come visit. Um, or you could apply to come live. And it's a group of people who commits to a shared rule of life. So we have a very short rule of life that has our values in it. And we value, uh, we, we believe that God first loved us. And so that we respond to each other in love. And therefore, we value uh, work and pray, praying together. Well, these are out of order, prayer. Um, work, pray, play, and eating together. And then we also value sustainability, creativity, and hospitality. And so people come and, and they live here and we read the Bible together and we sing together and we serve together and we invite wildly to, you know, to our neighbors and we read poems and we watch movies and we work the land and we care for animals. And that is, is testifying. We are a credible witness to the love of God to our neighbors. And I'll tell you what, I don't know how many times in my 10 years, you know, like in regular full-time every, every day church ministry, <clears throat> traditional church ministry that I ever had 
a non-Christian walk onto our campus, ask for a tour, listen to our testimony, and then hand us money, right? <laughs> that, that, I, that, it, that doesn't happen, right? But on, at Heirloom, just this weekend, we had 29 community members show up for multiple farm tours to walk the land, to hear about what we think about love and God, to meet our animals, and to, to see love in action. Then they bought our farm eggs and donated money to continue the good work we're doing. We hosted a large group, um, which is yeah I, the differently abled community that we already talked about. And they were running around our front yard playing with our baby goats and playing bocce ball. And their parents had a support group meeting together. And they want to come every month. This week alone, this is just this week, ready? I'm just giving you a week. I'm not even inflating anything. This week, we had a local diverse community group come rehearse every night of the week because they're going to run a local uh, commu- diverse community theater aimed at children this summer. And they're going to use our meadow. This week, we have a woman come uh, proof the property because she's going to run children's sports camps this summer to provide kids that have been cooped up all year uh, a space to run around on the land. And right now, I'm standing 40 feet from a person who's recording an album, a music album, where he hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, recorded a bunch of sounds out on the trail, and is turning it into, like, an amazing album. Like, this is all happening right now at this church. This is a church. But it's a farm. It's a farm church. So I think the future is, and we're growing vegetables. I mean, I'm a couple hundred yards from our garden. Someone, uh, an artist in residence is finishing a prayer labyrinth that he built on the property. And we're going to walk it as a community tonight. Um, this weekend we hosted, so I'm the director of programming at a local independent movie theater. We hosted the movie Gook. And Gook is a racial slur against an, a member of the AAPI community. Um, that was a, a movie that was made by an Asian American that played at Sundance in 2017. And we showed it and had some of the filmmakers and actors chat uh, after the movie about their experience and how that film relates to racism and what's going on in the current culture. And these are things that my church is doing, right? This is what the church is doing. So eat with your neighbors, meet people that are uncomfortable, that make you uncomfortable, listen to people with whom you think you disagree, um, serve people that offer you nothing in return, and we have found that for us, church is not going to be relegated to a couple hours on a certain day of the week, that church is your life and church is what we do with our whole life. So you've mentioned a couple of times that I'm a father, right? That's something I never thought I would do. Sophie and I were not interested in having kids when I was in youth ministry and people would ask, I say, well, I have a couple hundred kids, so I don't need, <laughs> I don't need any of my own. And when what happened is Jeff, we saw Jeff and Meredith, they raised two kids in this community and we saw what it could be like to have kids raised in community, church, capital C church. And it is good. It is gospel good. They get it. They don't think church happens at uh, one time a week. They live church and they are incredible human beings. And honestly, that opened us up to the idea of raising kids in community. So I, I just... It has been transformational for me as my career, as what I think it means to be a pastor, as what I think it means to be a Christ follower, as what I will do with the rest of my life about caring for orchards and animals and and people and how we're all more intimately tied together than we want to admit or that we'll ever understand. So this is my advice to you. Go hug a tree. Go watch a flower. <laughs> like the Buddha's greatest ever sermon was like he put a flower out in front of people and it didn't say any words. That's it. Like pay attention. If you look and you listen and you watch um, and you have more grace for yourself and more grace for the people in your life, then you're moving in the right direction. You're moving towards God. You're moving towards truth and mystery and love, capital L. So yeah, where you're at is okay. You've been equipped for today for what's expected of you today. Take a deep breath, figure out how to love yourself and accept the huge love that is being offered to you 
and then take a step forward or don't, I don't care Byron. sit, sit, sit still. Right. Like <laughs> I'm just speak. I'm using you now to speak to all us cynics and the cynics on the podcast. Like I don't care. That's the thing. <laughs> Eventually you're going to hit a point after sitting for a year or three years or five years or 10 years where you say, Hmm, if I'm going to keep existing, maybe I'll do something forward. And then whatever that step looks like, looks different because you spent the appropriate amount of time sitting and you only know that. And you probably don't even know that. Nobody knows that for themselves. You're going to know it at the time. So get a spiritual director, get a therapist, start being in nature more often. You're going to be okay. You know, (laughs) I think like the only beef I have with all this stuff that you've shared is that I live too far away to come and just tour the farm myself and see all this stuff. That's find, my find your jam. heirloom. Well, that's the name. So this that's this will end us then. The name heirloom that we came up with uh, comes from the idea of taking the good, boiling it down, and keeping the good and replanting it. Right? An heirloom tomato is is a family seed that has been passed down, or maybe from neighbor to neighbor, that have been passed down because it's the best. Right? It's the good, and then you yeah. replant it, and you're going to get the best of what is. So we're not interested in burning down church forever. We're interested in finding the point the goodness, the heirloom pieces of it, and then planting those in this neighborhood, specifically in this ground, in this time in human history. And and therefore, we get to pay attention to what God is doing. We get to pay attention to what is happening in the world. And then we get to enflesh love and goodness and patience and peace and kindness and, and self-control in as much as the Christ is doing that in and through us now. So that's it. That's the heirloom. So you, Josiah, you, Byron, can be a part of heirloom wherever you are. You are part of the goodness being born and planted again um, in, in little spaces all throughout the world. Now, I'm sure since it's a podcast, people like to click on things and see, right? Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to grab all the URLs. If you're an Great. astute listener, if you've listened before, we've actually had... Link in the bio. We've yeah, we've actually had Jared (laughs) Spout. We've had uh, Sophie on the podcast in the past. You you can go and listen to her. She's been on more than once. Actually, we had an all female pastor panel on this podcast once upon a time because Joe MacArthur said a thing that we had some feelings about. Um, (laughs) But but we'll put some links in the bio in the description. We'll we'll let you guys see what this looks like. Yeah, you can probably go to their website. They have a they have a Facebook. You have a lot of presence online for people can yeah go and check the, it out, the right? easiest the best places are you can scan heirloom so heirloomeastbay.com and heirloom on instagram heirloom east bay that's great and then i am get on people people media.com and that's where we just put our information up for artists and residency stays and people who want to come spend time here uh you can do a weekend you could do 10 days you could do 10 weeks like if you want to write your thing or make your thing or record your thing and do it on the land and in space then you can now paid to be a part of that. Um, and then anybody who's coming through and wants to visit, great. If you come through on a Sunday, Sunday mornings we do brunch church, which is a simple liturgy and a reflection on scripture. And we eat a meal outside and we try and use the food that we've grown in the garden as much as we can. And then, yeah, Friday nights is art night, art critique night. Everybody on the farm that is willing uh, shows or or shares their new artwork with everybody for, for critique and comment. Um, you are welcome to come camp or stay or be around Heirloom East Bay. So we're going to put a bunch of links either on our social media or in the description. Check it out. A couple of housekeeping things after this. But before we get to that, before we get to podcast housekeeping things, Jared, thank you. Thank you so mm. much for your time. Godspeed to you both. Thank you very much for your lives and hearts. Thanks for being here, man. That was really good. I've, I'm actually encouraged. It's been a long time since I've been encouraged this, <laughs> this year. And that that was really good for me personally. That, that's a I, big deal. Well, and especially after this last week that, like I told you, like I had to restrain a child again and I was, it really broke my heart and I've been kind of in a bummer mood since, honestly, mm. and this, this whole thing just really, 
I don't know. It. I think it's going to help me mourn those sorts of things and understand that there are other things to this whole situation. And I don't know. I've been looking at the bad a lot lately because of my mm. cynicism. So I appreciate you. Thank you for being here and yeah. saying what you had, what you've said. Yep. Every time, Byron, I'll give you this. Every time you think of something bad, you can just yes and it. Yes. It, it, we, we have been taught to move on and to skip over it. And I think if you just yes and it, say yes, 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 period. Yes and there's more to it. Yes and there's a dark to the light and there's a light to the dark. And, and I just think it's a yes and that we have been wildly misinformed to skip over. And I think I'm, I'm proud of your, of, of your, 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 I'm proud of your courage to give voice to the darkness that is often skipped over. That is, that is a thing that has taken courage and is often viewed, even in the way you talk about yourself, you're still saying it with a slant that's negative. And I, I would just hope that you could embrace that part of yourself and welcome it to the table and give it a seat and say, no, you don't get to drive, right? You don't get to drive the van. You don't get to pick what we always talk about at the table, but you've got a place here and you got a seat here and that's okay. And I just wonder what your relationship with that cynicism will be if you start to just say, hey, I see you and you're welcome here, you know? Because it, it can be incredibly prophetic as well. Yeah. Amen. We need you. I need that. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> Amen well, to you both. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much, Jared. Uh, Just a a real quick reminder to our listeners. All this stuff is on social media. Please subscribe, rate, review, do all that stuff. But if you like hearing more stories about people like Jared or other young folk who who are innovators in the church or maybe have left the church, then please stick around for the next next episode. As always, I've been your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. I do have one quick thing to say, though. I usually don't talk at this point. Um, I've had one person in particular who's an older person. They're my parents' generation. And they've reached out to me on Facebook a couple of times lately. And I really appreciate that. Um, If you have questions, concerns, or just, you know, want to be encouraging, you can also message us personally. Um, Check out all of our socials and stuff. But, like, reach out. If you have something to say or you're curious about something, reach out. And it's been a blessing to me to hear that voice from, from our past, someone we knew when we were kids, who has been encouraging. So thank you for that. This has been the Millennial Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks.